So I, I think I told you guys last week, we are planning on finishing Matthew at some point. Those of you who have been with us from the beginning, I think we started it back in March. Uh, we are in chapter 22, and we're getting really close to the end. Actually, we're, we're probably getting to the part where many of you are going to be a little bit more and more familiar with the stories and the things that you hear each week, because we're getting closer and closer to uh, to the time on the cross, to the trial, to the resurrection, to the end, right? The end is the part that we like because it's the part that we go, oh, right, this is who Jesus is, and it makes, it makes all the sense for us. But all these little things along the way, church, has just been geared to the longer picture we've seen God at work doing. Um, if you guys remember, before Matthew, we walked through Hebrews, and Hebrews kind of showed us over and over and over again all the things that the law had pointed to, all the things that God has been desiring to show us, it comes to life in Christ. And before we had done Hebrews, we were walking through Exodus, and we were saying, you know, when God was teaching his people what it means to be his people, what were the things he was looking to? So we find kind of in Christ, all of this is held together. And the past couple weeks, we've been talking about uh, a lot about the kingdom, because that language has been coming up more and more in Matthew. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about how God's kingdom is all about humility, and we worked through what does God's humility look like. Last week, we talked about how his kingdom is about power, and we mentioned like what his power looks like. And I think it, it makes sense by the time we hit this part in chapter 22, because we started it last week, but then there's a break about a third of the way through the chapter, that when Jesus is coming in teaching people, this is who I am and this is what I'm about, sometimes when we read these stories, we read through in light of where the disciples are at and in light of us about 2,000 years later, right? We say, oh, you know, look at all the things Jesus is trying to teach, and we put ourselves in that spot, and, and that there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes I think we forget we're equally like those disciples and those groups that as they're hearing Jesus talk about what the kingdom of God is, sometimes we realize it doesn't always make sense to us. In fact, what we're going to do as we work through the text today, we're going to see that each of these groups is going to come to Jesus and they're going to ask a question that, and I don't want to read this into you guys, but these are definitely questions I have asked in my faith. Uh, three different questions, each group will bring up a different one, and it's it's fun to me because as I was reading this, I'm reading it going, yeah, those are the questions that I have. That when I'm thinking about the power of God, the humility of God, all the things he's after, I want to know the answers to these. And what we're going to watch today, rather than reading through, you know, don't, let's not put ourselves in Jesus' shoes and say, this is what he's telling other people to do. Read in light of saying, oh, you know what? I, I think I asked that question too. And what Jesus does is he doesn't condemn any of these groups for asking these questions, but each time he's going to show them, if you're going to be in my kingdom, we're actually going to ask a different question. The focus of my kingdom is a little bit different than what you and I are used to. And so, church, sometimes it is, it is good and it is healthy for us if we're following Christ to say, you know, sometimes we run into things that just really don't make sense to us about who Jesus is and what he's come to do, and what that means for me to do today. So it's appropriate for us to say, you know, sometimes we don't ask the right questions. And as we're watching the questions today that Jesus answers, we're going to learn this about his kingdom, okay? What does God's kingdom focus on? 
if it is this powerful, humble, servant-oriented, love-driven, if this is the, you know, all the things we've seen about the kingdom the past few weeks, if this is what it is, what does it teach us to focus on? It teaches us to focus on who we are, who God is, and who God has made us to be. That at some point when we are working through our faith, we are going to keep these three things ahead of us. So let's, let's pick up chapter 22, beginning in verse 15. It says, And then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true, and you teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Father, we'll, we'll pause there this morning before you. We know we're going to read a little bit more later. But, Lord, I, I ask that you would give us the humility this morning to approach you and just say, Father, you know, there are a lot of things that we do well. Father, that as we come to your word in small groups and we see things about you, we, we put them into practice. Father, I, it, it has amazed me that in the time I have been with New River Fellowship, <laughs> we really don't have to tell anybody to move. Father, I love how, how eager our church family has been to serve you, to make you known. Father, we know that that is a work of your spirit because that's not a product, right? Even if I taught everything correctly, I, you can't just manufacture the desire to go make these, these things happen. So I am grateful for the work that you are doing in each and every one who is here this morning. Um, just because that's been the testimony, Lord, that we've been a people who move. And Father, I pray that even as we move, as we see you at work, as we're watching you in the world, in our own personal lives, just as we desire to partner with you in these things, there are moments where we have to come and say, God, you know what? My focus is a little bit off. I'm not asking the right question here. Not a bad question, Father. And we praise you this morning for your grace that even when we bring these questions to you that and they're not quite right, you still answer them. Father, you, we don't see this morning you pounding us for, for bringing the wrong things to you. But if we are to join you in your work, God, if we are to step up as citizens of your kingdom, there is a focus you desire to keep before us at all times. Father, in our humility, may we receive by power this focus today. May we see your word, may we understand it, and may your spirit just move in us to say this. This is how we are going to take what the truth we are seeing today is, and it's going to mold us, it's going to shape us as we move throughout this week. In your name we pray, amen. So, I love what we're going to watch Jesus do today. We're eventually going to finish the chapter, and each of these movements, um, Jesus is going to well, I was about to say he's going to emulate Harry Houdini, but Houdini has not come yet, so Harry Houdini could emulate what Jesus has done here. He's going to kind of wiggle out of some jams today. 
And the first one that's presented to him, the Pharisees were told in verse 15, they went and they plotted how to entangle him in his words. And what Jesus is going to do in this interaction is he's going to show us that his kingdom focuses us. Not necessarily focuses other people, although it does, but when we are walking in God's kingdom, it's going to keep our focus on who we are. Right, so the Pharisees and the Herodians come together. They're trying to trap Jesus. And this is, before we even dive in, this is wild, okay? Because the Pharisees and the Herodians did not like each other. They did not play nice together. The Pharisees, uh, they liked to be left alone so that they could follow God's law. You could say that they maybe trusted Rome about as far as they could throw them, right? As long as Rome lets us do what we want to do over here with God's law, we're good with you, Rome. But other than that, right, they wanted to just follow God's law. The Herodians, they kind of liked Rome. You can kind of hear it in their title. They were pretty at peace with whatever Rome was doing. So these groups often didn't see eye to eye. But it's interesting that when Jesus' power and Jesus' humility, when the Messiah shows up, now all of a sudden they're on the same page because they're equally threatened. They're equally threatened. And they come to Jesus and they ask him this question, verse 17. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So when we see these questions today, church, you know, a, a good studier of the text is going to say, well, what's the trap there? Right? What, what, what are they trying to catch Jesus in? This text that they're asking about, and some of your translations actually have this noted in there. They say something like a, a incense tax or a, oh, it's not incense. There's another word um, that begins with an I. If you see it in your scripture, you'll know what I'm talking about. Because some of your translations help you out. But it's a specific tax where you would go and you would pay Rome whatever the amount was that year. They would give you a special coin that you would then take and you could go to any temple and you would use that coin to buy a little bit of incense that you could offer as part of your worship of the emperor, right? Because this was, this was practice in the Roman world. They worshipped their emperor as, you know, a divine being. So they're coming to Jesus and they're saying, essentially, should we, what should we do about this practice, right? We know it's being used to worship something that we don't agree with. But we also know as citizens of Rome, we're bound to do this. And the Herodians are going to watch and say, well, Jesus, if you tell us to buck the Romans trend, uh, you're not with us. And the Pharisees are going to watch and say, well, Jesus, if you're telling us that we should partake in something that means we're worshiping something other than God, Jesus, how dare you teach the word of God and then be okay with this? So there's, there's these two groups coming to Jesus and they're interested to what he's going to say. And I love how Jesus answers the question. He has them bring up, this is verses 18 through 20. He has them bring him a coin, and he asks them, whose likeness and whose inscription is this? Two very loaded words. That Greek word for likeness is the word icon. You can hear we have some English words that sound similar to that. Icon meaning image. It's the same word that Jesus uses to talk about himself being in the image of God. Same word that the New Testament authors use to say, you know, Jesus is in the image of God. You and I have been made in the image of God. Like that, that is the word that's being used. And the word for inscription, epigraphe, means title. It's the same word when Jesus is hanging on the cross and they put that inscription, the king of the Jews, above him. Same word there. So when Jesus says, whose likeness 
and whose inscription is on this coin, he says, look at the coin. What image does it bear? What title does it bear? And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, you guys are concerned here with the question, well, what should we do? What, what should we do about this Jesus? And Jesus says, ah, it's not a bad question. But really, the question you should ask is, where is your worship? He says, you're trying to figure out what to do, but you're fundamentally missing whose image you bear. Whose title has been given to you. And it explains Jesus' answer in verse 21, because he says, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Some of your transmissions or translations may use the word give. That works too. The word there really just means to give back what is rightfully due. Jesus says, Those things that have Caesar's name and Caesar's image and Caesar's likeness on it, give it back to Caesar. Don't, don't withhold it from him just because it's leading you to do something you disagree with. Give to Caesar what Caesar is due. But then he, which would make it sound like he's agreeing with the Herodians, but then he goes to the Pharisees and says, but also don't you dare forget to give to God what bears his image, what bears his likeness. And this is actually echoed elsewhere in the New Testament, right? Paul's going to tell his his. Uh, his believers in Rome, in Romans 13, 7, he says, Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Peter, being a man of fewer words than Paul, summarizes it in 1 Peter two seventeen. He says, Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Right? No conditions. No exemptions. Give what is owed to those who are asking of it. But remember, this context is in kingship, right? These groups are thinking, man, Jesus' kingdom is all about telling us what we're supposed to do. And each of these little specific situations we can come up with that we can maybe kind of, you know, bend whatever Jesus is going to say to our advantage. And Jesus says, no, what I have told you <laughs> is look at the image and look at the inscription. Because he's now telling the people this is a worship matter. Caesar is due his tribute because it bears his image and title, but God is due to receive those things that bear his image and his title. And church, I'm kind of alluding to it, but at this point, you, we ask ourselves, so today, looking around this room, what bears God's image and God's title? That would be us, right? This is what we're told in Genesis 127, when God makes man and woman at the very beginning. Let us make mankind in our image, after our likeness. John tells us we've been titled in 1 John 3, 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The New Testament telling us what the Old Testament has already shown us, Right? That when God's kingdom shows up, more than just about telling what to do, it has come to remind the people who they are. You have been made in the image of God. You have been given, sin has broken us from it, but God desires you to have that title, child of God. That brings us back into who and what we were made to be. And it, it made me pause this week because I started thinking, you know, 
when we listen to, I mean, you can, you can listen to different pastors, you can watch this in other churches, that it, it is very easy for us to slip into a practice of faith that just centers on what should we do. Because at the end of the day, right, most of us are too busy to try to think about anything else, right? God, just tell me what to do. I need to know what to do with this thing so I can move on. Somebody comes up and says, look, I don't, I don't have time for you to correct everything about my life. Just tell me what I need to do with this thing. And I love, God doesn't ever say that's a bad question, right, or that's a question we shouldn't ask him or that he's not going to answer that when we bring it to him. But he says, if you're really going to understand what to do in my kingdom, first you have to understand who you are. Whose image were you made to bear? Whose likeness, whose inscription have you been given? We start there. And it really challenged me this week, church, to go, you know, if Jesus is telling them to start there, and we know, you know, about the truth of his word and that if we're made in the image of God, then we don't, we don't get to do everything, right? We say yes to things, we say no to things, then it's almost as if he knows that if you remember who you are, then you start to actually see and change all the other pieces, right? That if we knew whose image we were made in, if we knew the title that has been given or that God is desiring to restore to us, does that not then change how we live? I feel like that, that is a piece I need to trust more daily. Maybe you do as well. But when Jesus comes, he is showing us in his kingdom, it focuses us on who we are. The second piece, right, the Pharisees get their turn to come into Jesus. Now the Sadducees are going to take their swing at it. Verse 23 says, the same day Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us, the first married and died, and having no offspring left to his wife, or and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. So to the second and the third, all the way down to the seventh. And after them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither married nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. So the Sadducees get their, their crack at stump the rabbi. And Matthew gives them this little bit of commentary that the Sadducees, verse 23, they say that there is no resurrection. It's important to understand why he puts that there. The, the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't agree, <laughs> go figure, as if we all were in agreement on exactly what happens in the eternal life, right? They, they're saying, well, the Pharisees believe that, you know, and again, I'm going to be really quick and not to try to fly over this, but the focus of what we're talking about is not end times today. But just to give you a little bit of background, the Sadducees believed that when you were reconciled to God, you know, your spirit would go to heaven, your soul would go to heaven, your body didn't, right? That you were like, you're spiritually brought back to God, but physically, you know, that, that was it. Um, the Pharisees had this more interpretation that God would kind of, you know, take 
take those who followed him and then, you know, like we see in Revelation, a new heaven and a new earth and kind of recreate a life with him. Now, all the ins and outs of that, not really what Matthew's about today. But it makes sense because the Sadducees are coming to Jesus. They don't believe in a bodily resurrection. And they're going to throw this wild question to Jesus. Right? They're going to say that there's this precept in the Old Testament law that you know, Moses told us if our brother has a wife, our brother marries, he has no kids, we're supposed to marry the wife to make sure that the family line keeps going. It's kind of a weird question, and that's intentional. Because they're trying to make Jesus either say that it's, oh yeah, right, this is foolish, that's crazy, who knows which woman this is going to be with, so they can say, right, Right? There is no, there's no bodily resurrection, right, Jesus? Or Jesus can say, um, actually, she belongs to brother number three and give his reasoning. Then they can go back and forth. The question that they're wrestling with with Jesus is one of right. One of being right. Jesus, what is right here? Does the resurrection look like this? Is the right interpretation this thing? Jesus, if, if the woman is married to this brother, you know, which which is the right approach? What's the right answer here? That is definitely a question that I have posed to God many of times. And so it was a little hard for me to swallow reading verse 29 when Jesus answers them and he tells them, look, you guys are, are trying to ask what's right. He says, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Oof. You ask the wrong question because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. He knows. The Sadducees already know what they think, right? When they're coming to God and they're asking, God, what is the right thing to do here? He knows they're not really there to listen. They're just waiting for him to affirm what they're already going to do. At church, I feel like that, that many times, and again, not to read it into you, but that is me. Sometimes I come to God, I'm saying, God, I want to know the right thing to do here, but I already know what I want to do. Case in point, you guys know that I work over at, at Blacksburg Transit about 20 hours a week. And from time to time, when they are really short on drivers, they start calling everyone in the office to go out to drive. This past Friday night, it's the first Friday night of classes you can imagine downtown Blacksburg is fairly full of people. Um, unsurprisingly, they were short on drivers. And so they start calling everyone, and they always call the trainers because, you know, we're supposed to be decent drivers if we're teaching people how to do it. And they said, hey, Jordan, do you, do you guys want to go drive on Friday night? Of course I want to drive a bus, right? Like, I've told you all, that was my five-year-old childhood dream job was to drive a bus. So then I'm going, well, let's see if I can make this work. I'm going to go to Abigail. I'm going to ask her if it's the right thing, if it fits into our time for me to be able to go to drive the drunk bus on Friday. But you guys know, when I'm coming to Abigail to ask that question, I already know what I want the answer to be, right? Like, I'm going to put her in the position of you're going to have to tell me no, that this is not a good answer because I already know what I want the answer to be. I already have in my head what the right answer is. And, and unfortunately, when you put someone in that hard a position, then they either just affirm you or they become the bad guy. So long story short, I did drive the bus on Friday night. But it's interesting that Jesus says, guys, be, 
when you have that mindset, you already know what's right. Because very few of us, when we go to God and we say, what's the right thing to do here? Do we really have no clue what the answer is? We kind of know what we want it to be. And Jesus says, when you come to God with that question, not only are you not focusing on the right thing, that's just, I can't really do anything with that. Right? You're just looking for me to justify what you're about to do. This is why Jesus gives them the answer he does in verses 30 through 32. He says, I'm going to teach you something that you're fundamentally missing about what God's power looks like, and then I'm going to remind you back of the law something you've already forgotten. And he brings these things up as a way of saying, you're asking what is right, but instead I need your focus to be on who is God, right? It's the exact same pattern Jesus did with the rich young ruler. We saw this, I think, like three weeks ago in Matthew 18. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what's the right thing to do to be saved? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Right, like you, you're, looking, you're calling me good because you're, you want me to just affirm what you've already done. Who's good? Who is good? Right? He points them, this is who God is. And then when Jesus answers this question, he says, uh, you've already known these things to be true. You already know. Right? You know who God is. This is the focus that I need you to have. And he reminds them with this fundamental phrase in verse 32. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That is like God's you know, title on the covenant with his people. This is who I am. Jesus telling the Sadducees, if you remembered who God is, you would know kind of how foolish you're asking. Church, it is amazing to me. You look at the different number of denominations that we have. You look at all the different number of, I mean, let's just take the Southern Baptists, for example, okay? Because that's the, the ones that we're closely affiliated with. You watch the conferences and the things that we decide to spend our time talking around, right? We are all wrestling with the question, what is the right blank? What's the right interpretation? What's the right thing to do here? We write books. We hold conferences. We teach others. These are the right things. And, and I want to be very careful to say it's not that this question is wrong. It's not that this question doesn't matter. But we run the risk when your focus is just on the rightness piece, you can learn all the correct attributes about something and still miss the complete picture. The other illustration I thought of this week is many of you know that Joel is a lawyer. And I love asking you questions about it, Joel, because I know absolutely nothing about the legal system other than what I've picked up from psych, from bones, and from law and order, which are not, they're, they're probably not m the most entertainment driven, but they're not the most factually driven either, okay? So I can spend all of my time, let's say I met with Joel every day, and I read his notes, and I asked him questions, and let's say I even went to his office and I went to go work for him. I could know everything Joel Jackson knows about the legal system, about how to do that. And I'm probably, as I'm doing that, I'm going to learn little bits and pieces about Joel, right? How he prepares for cases, how he interacts with people, how he is before judges. I can learn a lot. I could even be an expert, and I could go perfectly copy how Joel is in a courtroom and preparing things. But do I really know Joel Jackson? Right? Like, I can be 100% correct on this one little attribute. But do I really fully know every part of Joel Jackson's life? Do I know how he would handle something that isn't related to a legal system? 
right? This is why Jesus is saying, you guys are focused on what is right. That's important. But a bigger picture, if you bear the image of God, you bear the likeness of God, you can't just know one particular attribute about him and say, well, good, then, then I figured this out. Now I can take this and apply it everywhere. Because you, we are capable, church. I, I intentionally use that language. We can go to God daily. We can read his word. We can talk with him. We can serve others. We can become experts in an attribute. And still not truly be focused and know all of who God is. That is why the focus of God's kingdom is even broader. Why Jesus tells the Sadducees, you guys have been so fixated on what is this correct interpretation of this one thing. Not that it doesn't matter. But you've been so fixated here, you don't even know the scriptures and you don't even know the power of God. Because my kingdom is going to teach you to first focus not on what's the right thing to do, but on who God is. And as we know who God is, church, if we know God alone is good, do we not know then what is right? Will we not see that deep? Same pattern, one more time. Let's look at verses 34 through 46 and finish the chapter. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him to test him. Or asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? It's another loaded question. We'll get to that in a second. Jesus, what is the most important? What's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus, he takes his turn. He asked them a question, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, well, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him, speaking about the Messiah, Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he, the Messiah, David's son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Right? That's a good, that's a good place to end. So the Pharisees are going to take one more swing at Jesus. And they're going to come up with what is the greatest or the great commandment. That word there means weighty, right? What is the commandment that should drive the way we interpret and read everything else in Scripture? And there's a big reason why they bring this question to Jesus. I honestly can't remember if I brought this up last week. I had it in my notes, but I'd, I don't know. I assume most of y'all probably forgot too. So I'll bring it up again. There were two big schools of thought in the Jewish rabbinic world. One of them followed this guy named Shammai, and the other one followed a guy named Hillel. Both of them agreed the same thing, right? The most important thing we should do when following God is the commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, right? We agree on that. They differed on what the interpretation piece was. Shammai taught people the second commandment that's like it is to honor the Sabbath keep the Sabbath. And their structure was the best, the correct way to love God is obedience. 
And that was the light that they interpreted the entire Old Testament law. Hillel taught people the second greatest commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. So his lens that he interpreted everything through was love. You have one of love, you have one of obedience. Now when they ask Jesus this question, they know depending on how he answers it, he's about to alienate about half of the Jews with his answer. So what do we see Jesus answer? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Verse 37, both groups are tracking there. Verse 39, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Oops. Sounds like you're in the Hillel school, Jesus. You've just completely lost everybody. That's under Shammai. But then watch what Jesus does. Right as they're gathered together, this is the same conversation. He asks them a question and says, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they say, well, he's the son of David. And Jesus quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. says, how is it that David says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. How could David call the Messiah his son if he's also calling them his Lord? What is David doing? It's a posture of obedience, of submission, of David saying, the Lord is my king. And I love the reason why nobody can answer Jesus at this point is because what has Jesus done? He has said the most important way to love God is both love and obedience. He has now tied the two together. Church, when you and I bring up the third question of, you know, what is best? Jesus, what's the best thing to do here? Right? Everybody's got an answer. Please pick one that's the best <laughs> so we can pat ourselves on the back that we're not like everybody else. Which one is best? Jesus says, you have been so focused on what is best. You do not even realize how you have taken two fundamental parts about who God has made you to be and you have now pitted them against each other. That you have now said, well, of course we want to love other people, but the best way to follow God is in our obedience. Well, of course we want to obey God's word, but the best thing we can do is to love others. And Jesus is saying, God has made you to do both. God has made you to both love one another and to obey God's word. Why are we pitting them against each other? Why is one more exclusive? Why, why is one greater than the other? Jesus saying, the better question you should ask, not what is best, but say, who was I made to be? Because there are many times, church, when we get caught up in which one is best, what's the correct, what's you know, the, the, the better way to fulfill this, that we're not even aware when we end up pitting parts of God against one another. And I, I, I really was trying to think of one example, but I... I I don't have one this morning because I feel like this comes up over and over and over again in the church today. And you guys have probably seen many examples of how we tend to sacrifice one. We say, well, you know, we'll just, we'll water down obedience in the name of love. Or we'll get, li we'll get rid of love and grace in the name of obedience. Jesus says, why are you pitting two pieces, two sides of the same coin, if you will? of who God has made you to be against each other. This is why we need Christ, church. In him, the fullness of the law, we see how these two things that we believe are, are so opposite, we can't even ask Jesus any more questions. Jesus says, no, they're together. So when we are citizens of God's kingdom, church, the questions we often want to ask, 
Jesus, what should I do? Jesus, what's the right thing here? Jesus, what's the best thing here? And Jesus says, before we get to those questions, I need you to first see who are you. You bear the image of the holy God. You bear the inscription, the child of the king. Then you need to see who is God. If that makes you feel a little bit anxious this morning because you say, well, I'm never going to fully answer that question. How am I ever going to get to the part what is right? Well, good. Maybe that then is a long, hard work of our faith where we're having to unpack constantly who is God. And then the last part, but Jesus, what is best? Like, What is the best thing to do here? Well, first I need you to focus on who I have made you to be. If you see who you have been made by God, you see who God is, Let's put those pieces together. And so, church, our application this morning is very simple. I think we just need to close with two things. The first, and I'm actually going to give you a, a, little, a little moment to process this, but for us to just say, okay, God, where's my focus off? Some of you may be here this morning saying, well, I am asking God questions about you know, what's the right thing to do here? What's the best way to handle this? What should I do? Again, God does answer those. He's not pounding us for bringing those questions to him. But there may be something that God is saying, I need you to understand this before I can go there. So in just a second, we're just going to take a moment. We'll let it be quiet for you guys to be able to pray and just ask God, okay, God, where's my focus off? Right? What, what do I need to hear? What do you need to tell me that I have to get this before I can start living this? And the second part I want to give you a chance to do today is just simply commit. To say, Jesus, if that is the focus of your kingdom, I want that. Right? So much of what we've been doing in Matthew is Jesus is fundamentally showing us what it looks like to follow him. Guys, we, we have dressed that up very much in our world today. Right? We are constantly relearning and working through, ooh, you know, we thought maybe that was right, and that, that probably doesn't fit with Scripture as much as we thought it would. We are constantly coming to the point where, I mean, maybe you say just as I do, Lord, I believe this to be true. I'm still not quite sure of exactly what this is all going to look like, okay? I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. There are going to be plenty of voices. Our world will never suffer for voices, even Christian voices, that will be able to tell you, oh, this is what you should do. Oh, this is the right thing to do here. Oh, th yeah, this is the best thing to focus on. True, sometimes we, we are not even aware when we listen to so much of that that we are still forgetting the God who we were made to know to begin with. If you ask me as a pastor, Jordan, what should I do about this? What should we do here? Which is best here? Which is right here? I can give you all, well, I, I can't give you all the answers. I can give you a lot of what I think, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean you know me. Same approach with our Lord. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna take about 30 seconds to a minute just to have a space to be quiet. Let's bring these two things to the Lord. And then let's just say, Lord, I believe as we go from this place, you're probably going to have to keep showing me things as we move throughout the week. God, I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's pray. Father, show us today where our focus is off. 
Show us today where we might be spending a lot of our time, a lot of our energy focused on asking a question that you honestly do desire to make known to us. But Father, you are too good a God to just simply give us what we need so we can go on our merry way. Father, we may be missing something this morning that you are saying, I need you to see this about who I've made you to be. I need you to see this about who I am. I need you to understand that if you were made in my image, you need this first. Father, whatever question we are bringing to you right now, I pray that you would make that known to us. And Father, as we take just a split second to wrestle with you, May we as a community today just say, Lord, we believe you. Help our unbelief. God, we praise you today that you have made us after your image. That we, when we are made right through faith with Jesus, we can be called your children. Father, if we have not been made right with you through your son Jesus Christ today, may we understand that that is first and foremost primary here. That is the chief thing we need to have before we can move into any of this. Father, if we are right with you through Jesus this morning, we have your spirit dwelling within us. We thank you that as we leave this place, Lord, we are not going by our own power, by our own strength, by our own understanding, blind into whatever is about there. Father, we praise you that your spirit continues to work in us, continues to show us who we are, continues to show us who you are, continues to show us who you made us to be. May we move this week trusting you with this. And Father, may you even give us a cool testimony when we come back next week. We may be able to say, hey, you know what? There, something happened this week that was pretty cool. Something happened this week. You know, I... I I learned something. Father, may we even have those testimonies that as we gather together, we would be able to share. In your holy name we pray. Amen.